Hello, and welcome to Ropes and Gray's virtual trip around the world podcast. I'm Allison Fethke, a counsel in the healthcare group in our Chicago office. Um, and together with my colleagues across the globe, I'm really excited to share with you the launch of our new local law comparison guide. This was developed as part of our Global Healthcare Compliance Initiative, which is based on our cross-practice group collaboration at Ropes and Gray and our strong relationships with local counsel. This new local law comparison guide summarizes requirements and standards for typical activities that healthcare and life sciences companies will encounter across 19 key international jurisdictions, and we've partnered from law firms on six continents to develop the comparison guide. Today I have with me Jacobine van Byron from the law firm of Lowens & Loof. Jacobine is resident in the Amsterdam office and is here today to discuss with us compliance and regulatory considerations in the Netherlands. Welcome, Jacobine. Thank you, Alison. Thank you for your introduction, and thank you for having me here on your uh, on your podcast. So maybe I can briefly introduce myself. Please do. Yes, if you could tell us a little bit about your practice and a little bit about the healthcare compliance and regulatory practice at Lowens and Lewis, that would be terrific. Yes, of course. So I'm a senior associate working at the Benelux and Swiss law firm Lowens and Lewis, as you mentioned. So I'm an attorney at law uh, working at our Amsterdam office, and um, I'm a member of our competition and regulatory practice group, and I'm uh, specialized in regulatory pharmaceutical law, healthcare law, and uh, data protection and privacy law. And I'm also uh, litigating in uh, administrative proceedings with, for example, um, several Dutch uh, authorities, such as the um, Dutch Healthcare Authority and the Dutch Food and Consumer Product Authorities. Wonderful. It sounds like you have a really broad base of experience in the Netherlands. Could we start by having you um, describe for us what is the regulatory framework in the Netherlands? What, what laws or industry codes would a healthcare or life sciences company be contending with? Yes, of course. So we have a legal framework applicable in the Netherlands. So medicinal products, this is the um, Dutch Medicine Act. And it also includes rules on the inducement and advertising of uh, medicinal products. And uh, next to that, we have, of course, Medical Device Act that also includes, well, similar rules on inducement and advertising. But besides, we also have industry guidelines and the uh, self-regulation system. So we have a code of conduct uh, for medical devices as well as for uh, pharmaceutical products. And a um, large number of um, umbrella organizations for manufacturers or importers of medical devices are um, well do participate in this um, in this self-regulating um, system, and also umbrella organizations for uh, healthcare professionals or hospitals are um, included in this self-regulation system. So um, both. Um, frameworks are um, important. Of course, the law is most important and is enforced by the Dutch Health Care and Youth Care Inspectorate. Uh, so that's the competent authority that also can uh, impose fines, for example. And on the other hand, we have those self-regulation system which uh, has the uh, code authorities, so that's the authority that is enforcing compliance with these self-regulation codes on the uh, advertisement rules or inducement rules, and it's very 
easy for consumers or uh, competitors to file a complaint with these uh, code commissions. So we also see that um, consumers or competitors do so uh, to keep uh, to keep each other uh, sharp. And the inspectorate is also quite active in the field of well compliance with these uh, these rules. So, for example, the Dutch inspectorate published um, a report last well, the end of last year, and they announced that uh, various pharmaceutical companies, uh, communication agencies, and even newspapers have been fined uh, or warned for advertising uh, a medicine between, um, well, it was quite a broad range in years, so it was 2013 uh, until 2019 that was covered in this uh, research, but a total of 14 investigations have been um, carried out by the inspectorate and they established uh, 15 violations of the Medicines Act uh, with this research. And that was just only published last year. So, um, yeah, they are quite active in uh, enforcing these, uh, these rules. So, Jacobine, for a, let's say, a pharmaceutical company or a medical device company, it sounds like there are layers of, you know, regulatory authority and enforcement risk, both, as you mentioned, from the inspectorate, but also, you know, some self-policing between companies who might file complaints about the conduct of, of, of other companies. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. So, that's correct. And that filing uh, a complaint is course, much easier than going to court and to start civil proceedings. So, um, yeah, filing a complaint is, is that easy that, that companies um, are doing that and, and consumers, of course. Are the complaints between companies, do they tend to be focused on um, advertising activity or, or does that also encompass um, activities with healthcare professionals such as educational presentations or sponsorships? Yeah, the latter can be the case as well, but I think uh, if uh, when competitors uh, are complaining about each other, it's more about um, uh, advertisements and then especially comparative advertising. I see. And in the Netherlands, I think like many countries in Europe, um, direct-to-consumer advertising is uh, completely prohibited. So are, these are primarily advertisements directed to healthcare providers? That's correct. So indeed, it's um, uh, it's not allowed to advertise um, to the public and to uh, to healthcare professionals. Uh, it is allowed, but it is of course um, subject to certain uh, limitations. I see. And in terms of a company's interactions with healthcare providers, which is an area of of high risk generally in the United States. So if a company is um, you know presenting an educational training or uh, perhaps sponsoring a medical conference. Um, in, in the event of concerns arising from those types of activities, would that be the inspectorate who would be taking action against the companies? What would be the regulatory authority that companies would be most concerned about with those types of um, healthcare professional interactions? Yeah, there will definitely be the inspectorate because uh, that's also the authority that is uh, entitled to impose fines, for example. So uh, I think that is the authority that is um, is most important to be aware of. So what are you seeing as you counsel your um, your life sciences and your healthcare 
clients in terms of regulatory and compliance considerations. You know, for our for our audience today who may be, you know, legal or compliance professionals working with their companies um, on these activities, you know, what, what are you seeing in terms of hot topics? I think one of the hot topics is the uh, medical device regulation that is, um, well, it's coming. Uh, it is, um, will be applicable as from um, 26th of May 2021 in Europe. So, yeah, it's of course important for our clients to be aware of the new um, the new rules, and we are uh, working on a lot of questions about that, of course. And mm-hmm. what we also see is that companies are focusing on well, we call it the borderline products. So these are the products that are a bit well, sometimes vague, which legal framework applies. So. As an example, food supplements, it is, of course, regulated by uh, food law, but if you uh, present it as having uh, properties for treating or preventing diseases, right. like uh, making claims, food supplements, yeah, yeah making claims yeah. indeed, yeah, then the legal framework, well, it kind of switches from the general food law to uh, the Dutch Medicines Act. So we see that clients and, um, and companies are really uh, struggling with these kind of uh, of products and yeah the applicable legal uh, framework and I think a lot of companies are not aware of this well kind of strange switch from legal framework only by presenting your product in um, in such a way or claiming um, a certain um, effects or uh, or property that makes sense how about any other key risks you're seeing I think there's a lot to do, of course, about the online sales of uh, medicinal products and the sure. online uh, online prescription also of medicinal products. So this is also something we um, uh, get questions about on a regular basis, so uh, whether or not it is allowed to sell online. Uh, and also the uh, inspectorate recently warned on its website for, for example, the sale of illegal medicines on the internet. Also, in 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 view of COVID, uh, people seem to think that there would be products available that might help against the uh, coronavirus. And the inspectorate warned about the health damages this could um, this could cause. Um, so um, there are parties that w- that want to um, uh, offer uh, medicinal products online, and of course not the illegal ones, but just the uh, just the uh, authorized medicines. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we get just questions about the regulatory requirements for offering um, those products online. And um, for example, also about the so-called um, cross-border pharmacies. So pharmacies that are based in um, the Netherlands or online uh, uh, based in the Netherlands and then want to deliver the uh, products to, for example, Germany. And you mentioned COVID. Um, obviously, that's that's been something um, we've contended with across the globe in the last year. One of the the risks you mentioned was, you know, advertising of potential, you know, treatments to assist in COVID. Or have there been any other changes, um, you know, in practice that that were caused by the COVID nineteen pandemic um, that has have resulted in a new regulatory risk that you've seen? Yeah, I think that um, some uh, confusion can exist about the requirements, for example, for medical devices, because 
Last year, there were a few um, exceptions for uh, the requirements of medical devices, for example, the CE Mars, uh, because of the uh, shortages uh, further to the crisis. Um, but in the meantime, well, the um, uh, temporary uh, exemptions are um, well are not in place anymore. So this can um, can be a confusing for uh, for parties. And further to COVID, we also have uh, questions about the VAT rates of products. So, of course, I'm not an expert on VAT, but we um, uh, consult with our uh, tax colleagues about uh, those questions. And it's a really um, team effort, those kind of questions, because uh, whether or not the uh, VAT exemptions uh, apply are, are always very um, depending on the uh, on the question what kind of products we are uh, we are talking about and whether the product, for example, uh, complies with the medical device requirements. So that's also something we see uh, further to um, further to COVID. And um, I think also um, other kind of questions um, in in um, in view of the like sponsoring and organizing of events. Um, came up because, well, a lot of events could, of course, um, could not take place in the way that they did before. So mm -hmm. they uh, need to be organized online, for example. And um, uh, the requests for advice to the to the code commission, you can, if you want to organize something, you can um, ask them for advice as a company. But this, well, decreased very much due to the COVID crisis, but they got some questions about, for example, organizing um, online events and the sponsoring of online events. Because also, uh, especially when the COVID crisis, well, just came in, um, they wanted to organize very uh, on a very short term something uh, online. And then mm -hmm. it was hard for them to make sure that, uh, for example, when there are uh, non-healthcare professionals and also healthcare professionals that were participating in this event to make the uh, distinctions between these two groups because, of course, you are not allowed to uh, advertise products to the non-healthcare professionals, but you are allowed to, uh, to a certain extent, to do so towards uh, healthcare professionals. So. Yeah. There are some struggles about how to organize these things and how can we do that. And they needed to work with the existing platforms, for example. So, yeah, there was a risk in view of, of COVID that things changed very quickly and parties were struggling how to um, to organize these things and how to um, participate in events like this. Yes, we saw that in the, the United States as well. That that makes a lot of sense. You raised the point about appropriate interactions with healthcare providers, non-healthcare providers. Um, you know, in terms of healthcare providers who may also be government officials, what are any key questions or risks that our listeners should think about with respect to those officials? I think we do not really have a very big difference in, difference in um, the rules for governmental officials. So the um, requirements that apply to inviting government officials to the events, for example, are not so different from 
the well normal uh, applicable rules. And we have a rule that uh, prohibits, of course, um, public bribery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, well, defined as giving a gift or making a promise to a, to a government official with the intention of inducing them to act or not to act um, in the performance of their, uh, of their office. And we have some academic hospitals in the Netherlands. And these are legal entities uh, incorporated under public law. So that's, for example, um, the uh, Academic uh, Medical Center in Amsterdam or in Rotterdam. And they um, legal entities are uh, founded on uh, a public public law. And right. therefore, all the uh, healthcare professionals working at such academic hospital qualifies as a governmental official. Um, so they, of course, have to uh, also have to comply with this um, uh, these rules. But yeah, there's not a, a complete different framework for governmental officials officials in the Netherlands. I see, but of course there would be just key basic considerations with respect to any interactions with with healthcare providers, whether or not they also be government officials. Yeah, absolutely. You need to comply with uh, with these rules anyway. Um, but these are the same for healthcare professionals, uh, whether or not they are um, governmental officials. So, Jacobine, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and in, in for your firm's partnership with us at Ropes & Gray in developing the Local Law Comparison Guide. We really think this will be an amazing uh, tool for our clients as they work through the complex regulatory and compliance environments across the globe. You can also subscribe and listen to this series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks, everyone, for listening and hope you have a good day. 